Good morning. Good morning. Happy Super God Sunday. Yeah. Who thinks the 49ers are going to take it? All right. Who thinks the Chiefs are going to continue their dynasty? <laughs> Who doesn't care? All right. Who's ready for the word? Come on. My name's Daniel Sutton. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Thank you, Pastor Chris. That's our lead pastor who was just up here for the opportunity to share the word again. He's been preparing for our next study, our next series titled Resilient. He's going to be taking us through the book of James starting next Sunday, talking about having a resilient faith and a resilient, what else? Resilient joy. Resilient strength, resilient faith, it's going to be awesome. You do not want to miss that new series starting next week, all right? So if you're like, I don't know if I can listen to that guy that just preached every Sunday, no fear. Pastor Chris will be kicking off a brand new series next Sunday. So again, welcome guests. We're so glad to be included in your weekend plans. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've already accomplished Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us here. Your presence in this place is unmistakable. And I ask now that you would speak through me. Use me this morning, Lord. Give us ears to hear your voice, hearts to receive, minds to understand, and hands and feet to apply your word to our lives. We know that your word does not return void. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Every single day, we are faced with if-then situations, and most of the time, we don't even think about it, but we are experiencing them. If this is your current situation, then do that. If you want that outcome, then do this. If I stay up late, then I'm going to be tired tomorrow. If I eat that entire pint of ice cream in one sitting because I'm not a quitter, then my stomach is going to hurt the next day. If I want to be more healthy this year, then I need to change my diet and start exercising regularly. And of course, the one that's been keeping us up all night, if Taylor Swift can get back from Japan and to the Super Bowl by kickoff, then the Chiefs will probably win the Super Bowl. If then, if then. It's a conditional statement. It's a hypothesis followed by a conclusion. If is a conditional word that leaves room for uncertainty. It leaves us with a choice. If you can't stand the heat, then stay out of the kitchen. There's a choice there. If, such a tiny word, but can carry with it huge meaning in whatever statement we find it. If is a word that calls into question everything that comes after it. Then, we have the word then. Then is entirely based upon if. Then is connected to what you do or do not do with if. So, if is the cause, then is the effect. And this morning, I want us to think about if we, fill in the blank, then he, fill in the blank. And we will fill in those blanks here this morning. The Bible is full of if-then statements. Did you know that? 
We find him in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospels, Revelation. And in some of these conditional statements, the if pertains to us, our actions. And the then is God's response to that. That is the case with the verse we're going to focus on this morning. It was around 957 B.C., and King Solomon had just spent years planning and building and finally dedicating the temple that his father, King David, had longed for. God made himself known by sending fire down from heaven and filling the temple with his presence. <clears throat> then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night, explaining how he had heard Solomon's prayer and chosen his temple as a house of sacrifice. God reminded Solomon how the Israelites should respond when they encounter difficult things. And God made Solomon a promise that still stands to this day. We find it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Amen. With war in Israel, mass shootings, fires, artificial intelligence, politics, so many other headlines, it's easy to see how much we need God's help. Not to mention whatever's going on in your personal life. We need God's help everywhere and in everything. Amen? One more time. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Would you say it with me? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. The first thing I want to point out to you is that this is a promise, but it is not a promise for everyone. Sorry. God says, if my people, my people, you have your people, right? So does God. This is a promise for the people of God. Last week, we talked about some of the identifying marks of the people of God. They are children of God. They are loved, free, forgiven, gifted, strengthened, and protected. So who exactly are the people of God? Someday, or one day, somebody asked Jesus that. It was Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46. While Jesus was teaching the crowd, his mother and his brothers waited nearby to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your family wants to talk to you. Jesus asked, who is my family? Then pointing to his followers, he said, these people are my family. Anybody who obeys my father in heaven and does his will is my brother and my sister and my mother. So have you done what the Father said to do? Are you doing what the Father has said? The Father said to receive his Son and to obey him. So if you have accepted Christ in your life and have become his obedient follower, then guess what? You're in the family. This verse is a promise to you. You are the people of God. Be encouraged by that. If, if it applies that God says of you, you are my people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, The people of God are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own 
possession. Now, the, th- the second thing I want you to notice is that God says, if my people who are called by my name, God says, I'm talking to my people who are called by my name. Remember, our true identity is found in him, not ourselves. Our true identity is found in the name of Jesus, not our own. He is who we identify with, right? We are called by the name of the Lord. I wonder, have you ever been embarrassed to identify yourself as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, as a Christian? It says, if my people who are called by my name. On April 20th, 1999, high school student Cassie Bernal was faced with a life and death situation with a gun in her face. She said, yes, I believe in God. And then her, along with other students, were shot and killed in Columbine, Colorado. Cassie knew whose she was. She identified herself with the name of Christ. Well, today it seems like Many people are bold about their beliefs or their lack of beliefs in many cases. But Christians, sometimes Christians are quiet when it counts. Christians like to keep it on the down low sometimes. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows who they represent or what they believe. Now, Christians might be quick to make it clear what they are against but they don't always make it clear who they are for. It's like we're walking around as undercover agents. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to superheroes. Anybody like a good superhero movie? I've I've got a pretty good collection of comics. I tell my wife that they're an investment. (laughs) But think about the superheroes that you see on the big screen. They usually have one person very close to them that knows their true identity. Batman has Alfred. Spider-Man has Mary Jane. Well, God is not the Alfred to your Batman. God is not the Mary Jane to your Spider-Man. God cannot be the only one that knows your true identity, that knows you are his follower. All right? Let me put it in an if-then conditional statement for us. If no one can tell that you're a follower of Christ, then you are not a good follower of Christ. The Bible says faith without works is dead. No such thing as a secret agent Christian. The Bible says if you're a believer, you are called by the name of the Lord. You need to stand up and say, I am a Christian. I am a believer. I am a follower of Christ. And that's not it. Then what? Then our lifestyle should prove that. Our conduct demonstrates that we are called by the name of the Lord. You could say, my conduct proves my calling. Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and immoral generation, I'll be ashamed of him when I return in glory with all my angels. The third thing I want you to notice is that then we have these four conditions. God says, if you humble yourself and pray, seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. The promise has a prerequisite. God says, I'll do this, but here are the conditions. If, then. If, 
then. I don't know what you're believing God to do in 2024. Maybe you need your marriage restored. Maybe you need a dream restored. Maybe you need your body and your health physically restored or your finances restored. I believe the principles in this passage of scripture apply to every area of healing and restoration and forgiveness that the people of God could possibly be in need of. Are you ready for the four conditions? Four conditions for forgiveness, healing, and restoration in your life. Number one, admit you are not in control. Starts out easy. (laughs) Would you say it together? Say, I'm not in control. Say it with me. I'm not in control. Say it again. I'm not in control. How do you feel? You feel good? Yeah? Just saying it is kind of easy, but for some, even saying it was hard because you're like, I don't want to lie in church, right? But living in a way that shows you are really not in control, it's really hard. Can I get a witness? That's really hard. I've heard people say, God is in control, and then live like everything revolves around them and their decisions. I've been guilty of that at times. Saying God is in control, but trying my best to figure it all out on my own. By the way, that's hypocrisy. When we say one thing and then do something else, and that's what the world sees as one of the biggest flaws amongst followers of Christ. So I admit that I'm not in control. What would you call that? Humility. Saying, God, you are God, I am not. That's the first condition for healing and restoration in your life. Humility. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humility is the first step. And humility applies to how we approach God and how we approach others. In how we approach God, we don't approach him arrogantly or carelessly or disrespectfully. Amen? Now, it's one thing to to have confidence when we approach the throne of grace. It's one thing to pray with faith, knowing that we are children of God. But it's another thing to make demands of God. So we need to be very intentional with how we approach God. We should do it with humility. It says, come with humility. Humility is confessing your sin to God the moment that you realize it. And by the way, did you know that the Bible never tells us you are to pray for humility? The Bible doesn't say pray for humility. Why is that? Because humility is a choice. That's on us. Humility is a choice. Of course, you can ask God to make you more humble, and he can do that. But you know how he's likely to develop it in you? By giving you opportunities to choose humility. By putting you in situations where humility is needed. And you can be sure they won't be easy opportunities. Humility is a choice. So the Bible doesn't say pray for humility. It says humble yourself. Humility applies to how we approach others. Humility is forgiving people quickly. Can can I give you some practical? Well, I'm going to. Not a single response, Pastor Chris, just like total crickets. Okay, I'm going to give you some practical. Humility is even when you're treated unfairly, pause, 
take a breath, be quiet before responding, if you respond at all. That's real humility. That's what Jesus did. The Bible says that when they stood him before Pilate and Caiaphas, he spoke not a word unto them. Jesus, he just, he just kept quiet. Sometimes you are most like Christ when you just stay quiet. When you absorb attacks. When you turn the other cheek. What is humility? Humility is when you look for ways to serve others instead of expecting to be served. When you accept correction and criticism graciously, that shows humility. When you don't fight to get the best seat or the best table or the best parking spot, that's humility. Intentionally being friends with people who are overlooked, have no status and can't do much for you, that's humility. Humility is being respectful to the authorities in your life, even the ones you didn't vote for and don't agree with. Stuff's not easy. Humility is when you pick up the trash that you didn't leave. Those little things that nobody else might see, God sees that. That shows humility. Humility is when you admit your weakness and sin to a few safe people in your circle. When you speak well of others, instead of putting people down, that's humility. Humility is when you pray for your enemies. Are you kidding me? Jesus said it. Jesus did it. Author C.S. Lewis said, quote, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is living focused on God and others. And that's a really hard way to live. So why would anybody do that? Well, first off, God said so. Hello? In addition to that, because of how God responds when we are humble. If I'm humble, God will guide me. Psalm 25, verse 9, God leads the humble in the right way, and he teaches them his will. Have you ever said, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should get in or get out. I don't know if I should hold on or let go. I don't know if I should go to the right or to the left. When you don't know what to do or which way to go, choose humility. Because if I'm humble, then God will guide me. If I'm humble, God will bless me. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. God says, I will bless those who have humble and repentant hearts. Not only does God forgive the humble, that'd be good enough, but he blesses them. God doesn't bless people full of pride. It might look like they're blessed, but that's not from God. Some people might look like they have it all, but the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. God says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. And you know what? The blessings of God will last forever. If I'm humble, God will bless me. If I'm humble, God will give me grace. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. And the more humble you are, the more grace God gives you. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. Grace gives us the power to change. 
Anybody, anybody need to make some changes in their life? Right? You need grace to change. You've got some stuff you'd like to change and you've tried to change it. You won't be able to, not without the grace of God. If we're humble, God will give us the grace that we need. So the first condition is I admit that I'm not in control and then I live like I believe it. Live a life of humility. Number two, the second condition for forgiveness, healing, and restoration in your life, ask God for help. You pray and you pray and you pray some more. I believe there are some people here, maybe watching online, and you've been praying and you've been praying for a long time, but perhaps it's time to change how you are praying. I'm not saying that you're praying wrong. I'm just saying there are many types of prayer. And we can't cover them all today, but we must be practicing all of them. Amen? We should be praying the word of God. We should be praying with our understanding. We should be praying in the spirit. Prayer is not always asking God to remove something out of your life. Sometimes that prayer needs to be, God, please change me in the process of this challenging situation. God, what do you want me to learn in this? I can count on one hand how many times I've prayed that prayer. God, what do you want me to learn from this situation? And please help me to learn whatever it is that I need to learn quickly if possible. <laughs> God, remind me that you are with me. Help me grow through this thing and overcome it. And if and when I overcome it, I will be quick to give you glory. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, we must be communicating with God, talking to him, asking for his help. James 4, 2 says that we have not because we ask not. Jesus wants you to ask him in prayer. I've come to realize that whenever I think I'm waiting on God, he has just been waiting on me, all right? He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to have dialogue. That requires listening. Listening requires a quiet place. So do whatever you need to do to communicate better with God. Why does God want you to pray? Because that's the only way you're gonna learn how to trust him like a parent and a child. Where are my parents at? How does a child learn to trust a parent? That child has a need and the child expresses that need usually with crying or whining and then a lot of, a lot of it, repetition, <laughs> right? And then the parent hears that need, the parent meets the need and then the child trusts the parent. And that's done thousands of times growing up. That's how a child learns to trust a parent. Well, the same is true with your heavenly father. If you're not asking God for anything, you're not learning how to trust him. And Jesus knows what you need, but sometimes it's so hard for us to express that need. But it is so vital that we express that need to our heavenly father. Jesus wants you to ask. And when you ask, he wants you to ask in his name. We ask in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. He said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Our Father in heaven, holy and set apart is your name. Consecrated is your name. That's why we begin our prayers with dear Lord or heavenly Father or some other respectful and honoring salutation. It's also why many times we end prayer with in Jesus' name, amen. So be it. I believe that we could and should go even further when addressing God in prayer, both at the beginning and the end of it. Think about how your prayer life would change if you added more worship and honor at both the beginning and the end. What if we spent more time telling God who he is, how grateful we are, and how much we love him? Now, God hasn't forgotten who he is, but he loves hearing his people tell them that they know who he is, that they have seen his faithfulness in their life. What if everything we prayed for and asked God for was sandwiched between more reverence of his name? Jesus says, ask in my name. Man, this is like if you were to go to a fancy restaurant without a reservation and try and get a table, but you knew the manager. So the manager had said, well, just mention that I sent you there and we'll make sure you get a table, right? Just say, um, uh, Bob sent me? Oh, right this way, sir. Here you go. By the way, you can do that with Pastor Chris a lot of places. <laughs> he knows just about everyone in the city or they know him. And so I might have said a time or two, Pastor Chris Tomlinson sent me. And then they just roll out the red carpet for you. <laughs> it's like that when we come in the name of Jesus. When you come to the Father in the name of Jesus, you get instant access. The name of Jesus opens doors. The name of Jesus makes a way. The name of Jesus is a strong tower that we can run into and be safe with him. Jesus is saying here, child, you can pray for anything. Don't be shy. I'll answer according to my will for your life. Just be real with me. Be humble and honest with me when we're talking. God will figure out whether or not that thing is best for you at that time, and he will answer, right? We, we ask in his name, and when we're, when we're praying, when we're talking to God, let's get others to pray with us. There's power in agreement. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 15 says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Amen? It's important for us to pray with other people, other believers. There's power in our agreement. And it doesn't have to be a pastor or an elder. By the way, those terms are interchangeable in much of Scripture. Any believer can touch and agree with you and pray with you for healing, restoration, or whatever. And that's why we have powerful prayer warriors right over here to my right and your left at the end of every single service. If you ever need prayer during the week, don't wait until Sunday morning. Send an email and know that the Kowalskis and about 50 other prayer warriors will go to bat for you. They will stand in the gap and intercede for what you're asking God to do, all right? You can phone a friend for prayer. You can get a neighbor to pray with you. And, 
And this scripture we just read talks about oil. Get some oil. Throw some oil on it. There's nothing, there's no healing power in the oil itself, but it is a beautiful and significant symbol of the Holy Spirit. So it is a good thing. I highly recommend using it and using it regularly and liberally. James chapter 5, verse 16a says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This sounds like community. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, I tell you, if just two of you on earth agree together about anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Jesus wants you to ask, and he wants you to ask in his name. He wants you to pray with other people, and he wants you to keep on praying until he tells you to stop. Amen? James 5.16b says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The fervent, heartfelt, persistent prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 says pray in the spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers asking for all that you need. To do this, you must be ready and never give up. Always pray for all of God's people. Are you hearing all the alls in this verse? Okay. You don't pray one time and just say, well, that didn't work. Forget that. What's, what's broken here? No, you keep praying, and you keep praying, and you keep praying, because sometimes God does a restoration immediately, but sometimes it might take a day, or a week, or a year, or who knows, but I trust his sovereign timing for my life. I've told this story before, I think, but I had a friend named Michelle Bunker. We grew up in elementary school together, and from the first day I met her, she was in a wheelchair, born with incredibly brittle bones, where if any pressure was put upon them, they could just shatter. Her parents had to help her out of that chair and, and into bed and in the restroom and all that. Sweetest girl. As soon as I met her, I started praying every night for God to heal her. Every single night of my life, all throughout elementary school. I went to a different school in junior high, and we kind of fell out of touch. This is before cell phones. This is before Facebook. Um, but occasionally, we would run into each other at a ball game when our schools played each other. I kept praying for Michelle every single night throughout middle school, throughout high school. God is my witness. Every single night, I prayed for Michelle Bunker and for her healing, her physical restoration in her bones and in her body. Well, I ran into Michelle my first year of college. I'm leaving the public library, and we walk by each other. Did you hear me? She didn't roll herself by me. She walked, and she was using the assistance of, you know, a cane in each hand. And, oh, my gosh, it took everything I had to hold it together while I'm catching up with her for just those couple of minutes outside of the Broward County Library. I walked away, got in my car, and wept like a baby. And I thanked God for that healing that he had begun. That he had begun. Because I had been praying for her total restoration, okay? 
And so I praised God and I thanked him for the work that he had begun. But Pastor Chris mentioned it earlier. He's faithful to complete the works that he begins, okay? So I kept praying every single night throughout college. We reconnected. This is after college, a few years after, gosh, probably five years after I graduated from college. I continued to pray for Michelle every single night. We're like going on 20 years by now, y'all. And then this thing called Facebook comes out, and you start reconnecting with people. And so Michelle and I are now Facebook friends, and, and this is like ah, 10, 12 years ago now. We reconnect, start chatting, come to find out she is walking entirely in her own strength, and the strength of the Holy Spirit. No wheelchair, no canes. She's married, has children. She could have never dreamed of having children. You know what that would have done to her body? But God, God answered that fervent, earnest prayer. So keep on praying, church. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. God is responsible for the answer. He tells us to ask and ask in his name and agree with others and to keep on asking. And every ask will receive an answer. Sometimes that answer is no. Sometimes that answer is not yet. Hang in there. Sometimes that answer is yes, but he will answer. So if you need healing and restoration in any area of your life, first, we admit we're not in control. <laughs> we evidence that with humility and all those practical ways we talked about. And then we talk to God. We ask him for help. Then we get to the third prerequisite for the promise. If my people will humble themselves and pray, number three, seek my face. That's the third condition. We seek God, not a miracle. We seek God. We seek him, not just what he can do for us, not just what we need him to do for us. When we seek him, this is worship. This is real worship. We seek God. We seek his face, not just his hand. It's okay to want a miracle. He knows what you have need of. It's okay to want healing and restoration, but that's not what you seek first, and it's not what you seek most. You hearing me? That's not the focus. God alone is the focus. He is who we seek. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. God will bless those who seek him first. I'm reminded of an old Keith Green chorus. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. What if we magnified Jesus so greatly? What if we put a magnifying glass on Jesus and he became the biggest thing that we saw, became the biggest thing that we sought, right? Everything else would shrink by comparison. Father God, I ask that you would let that be here in your church. If my people will seek my face, we seek the person of Jesus, we seek the presence of Jesus. This means, Lord, whether or not I get the answer that I want, I want you. Whether or not I get the healing and restoration that I want, when I want it, I still want you. 
Jesus, you're not an afterthought. You're not a consolation prize. You're not a means to an end. Jesus, you did enough on the cross. So if you do nothing else, you've already done more than enough. And I'm going to be satisfied with what you have given me and what you think is best for me and when you think I should have it. Amen? We seek you, Jesus. Proverbs 8, 17, God says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, God rewards those who earnestly seek him, who diligently seek him. This is not casual. This is not like I've got a little spare time. No, this is a serious, intentional pursuit, maybe even a scheduled pursuit that you need to add to your calendar to make sure that you don't miss it. And yes, we can certainly seek him as we go, but it just might help you get started if you go ahead and schedule that thing. Like, okay, this is my, this is my face time. <laughs> seek his face. That's not even in my notes. This has to be the primary focus of our life. God, I got to know you because I was made to know you and make you known. Any golfers in the house? Raise your hand if, you've, if, you, uh, if you like are a golfer. Raise your hand, okay? Raise your hand if you've ever played golf. <laughs> there is a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Has to be the only game that you could play your entire life and not get any better at. <laughs> People are gluttons for punishment. I have played golf I would not say that I play golf. You see the difference? Okay, yeah. It takes commitment and time and money if you want to get better at it, and I refuse to give all three of those things to it. It's just not that important to me. But in a similar way, if you want to get better at prayer, it takes commitment. It takes investing real time. If you want to get to know God better, it takes time. You've got to earnestly and diligently seek him if you want to find him. You've got to dig into his word and feed yourself on Monday through Saturday if you want to find him. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 29 through 31 says, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For he is a merciful God, and he will not abandon or destroy you. If you're here this morning and you just feel kind of stuck, you're just like in the same cycle, the holding pattern, neutral, like the new year has already turned into this year. Nothing's changed, same habits, same relationships, things just stink, not where you want them to be. Seek God first and seek him frequently. That is the prescription. We've got to seek him with all of our heart, church. Fix your eyes on Jesus, not the thing you think you need Jesus to fix, okay? Fix your eyes on Jesus, not the thing you need Jesus to fix. So I admit that I'm not in control. That's humility. I ask for God's help. That's prayer. I seek him, not just what he can do for me. That's worship. 
And then the fourth condition for forgiveness, healing, and restoration in your life, turn your attention away from the world and onto Jesus. We turn our attention away from the world. If my people would turn from their wicked ways, two key words in this scripture I want to look at quickly, turn and wicked. What comes to mind when I say the word wicked? Well, there's a popular musical, there's a local restaurant. Most people think of really bad, evil stuff that other people do when they hear wicked, right? Because I could never be wicked. Unspeakable crimes that put people away for a really long time, that's wicked. But I want us to think about it another way, a way that hits a lot more people. Wickedness is forgetting God. Wickedness is turning away from God. So does that mean that someone is wicked if they don't know God? Well, someone that does not know God can't forget him. But those of us that do know God, we can forget him. Remember, this verse is addressed to who? The people of God called by his name. That's me. That's you. Amen? Those of us that do know God and forget him, that is wickedness. I know your wheels are turning. Well, how do we forget God? I've never forgotten God. (laughs) When we intentionally choose to ignore him, that is wicked. When we focus more on ourselves than him, that is wicked is wicked. When we allow ourselves to be distracted by the things of this world, that is wicked. When we put something or someone else in his rightful place, that is wicked. Even if it's a job that God blessed you with, even if it's a good relationship that you're in, none of that deserves his rightful place in our life. Amen? Even if it's a good thing, it can't take his place. Because we were created to be in relationship with God. We can't experience good fellowship with him if we forget about him. And please remember, this is a promise for the people of God. So let's not be so quick to say, I'm not wicked. Have you ever forgotten God? Because even Jesus' parents, when he was 12 years old on a family road trip, forgot him and left him in a town all by himself. You can read about it in Luke chapter 2, if you'd like. So if we'd really stop and think about it, I think we could admit that, yeah, there have been times that I've forgotten God. Maybe I would never do that on purpose. I sure hope I wouldn't. But we've all been guilty of that. And when we forget God, we put ourselves in a position to do, to do the wicked things, you know, put ourselves in a position to be tempted to do all sorts of other things that will only take us further and further away from him. So that's wicked. Now, turn. We are to turn from our wicked ways or turn from forgetting God. Well, the word turn here in Hebrew is to return. All right? It means to repent, to change your mind. So you don't just turn away from the bad. You must return to the good. Turn away from the distraction and return to the Father. Go back to what you know to be true. Return to the good father. When I repent, 
I turn from guilt to forgiveness. When I repent, I turn from darkness to light. When I repent, I go from worthless to full of purpose. When I repent, I turn from hopeless despair to hope for eternity. I turn from bitterness to love. So when God says, my people, turn from that wicked way, he's saying, remember, come back. Give me your attention again. Come back to your first love. The four conditions for forgiveness, healing, and restoration in your life, admit that you're not in control. That's humility. Ask God for help. That's prayer. Seek him, not a miracle. That's worship. And then turn your attention away from the world and back onto the Father. And the word of God says, if you do that, meaning all of those things, we can't just pick or choose like, oh yeah, that one, that one, that two out of four, that ain't bad. No, there's not, there's not or in this verse. There are a few ands, okay? So when we do all of these things, then God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins. I will heal your land. And then he continues in verse 15. God says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to your prayer. And that's a promise. We don't have time this morning to break down God's response, but we can be sure that he will respond just how he says he will if we will do our part, if we are obedient. When we are obedient, it is greater than sacrifice. And I think far too often, we're waiting on God to do then, but he's waiting on our if. He's waiting for our obedience. We're like, God, where are you? Are you gonna answer me? And he's like, are you gonna obey? Are you gonna hold up your part? If you do your part, then you can be sure that God will do his. For we find in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And to that, it is a resounding no. He is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. He does what he says and he finishes what he starts. God holds your healing, restoration, freedom and forgiveness in his hands this morning. And he's waiting for you to be obedient so that he can release that promise into your life. Now, though this specific message was given to a specific people at a specific time in history, the principles we find in it, humility, prayer, worship, and repentance are regular actions that we should continue to apply as we follow Jesus. Amen? Because true humility and honest prayer, worship, and genuine repentance are the keys to intimacy with Him, the keys to healing and restoration in your life. So perhaps you're here this morning and you feel distant from God. You're, you've been waiting on the answer, trying to do things your own way, or perhaps intentionally going in the opposite direction, it is not too late to stop, turn around, and seek Him. For He is a loving and gracious and forgiving Father. 
who specializes in restoration projects. And he never stops inviting us to draw near to him. And he will never stop pursuing you. Amen?